As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Spin Reef, the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice, and yes, we're here talking about your now golfing Toronto Blue Jays, eliminated in the wild card round by the expansion cousin, Seattle Mariners, in a spectacular fashion. So let's talk about it. It is post-mortem time here on Spin Rate, which, of course, you can get by subscribing to The Athletic or subscribing to the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Go over to the Athletic website and subscribe slash Spin Rate. You know the routine. And I couldn't think of a better person to do this post-mortem, to dig through, to shift, sift through the ashes, to poke and prod this now cold body. She covers the Blue Jays for the Athletic. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. She joins us in beautiful downtown, former borough of Scarborough, Caitlin McGrath. She doesn't. She's not in Scarborough. She's from Scarborough. That's what I'm insinuating. Yes. I feel like I've reminded you of this, that I'm not actually even from Scarborough. But uh... Really? Yeah, no, I didn't. I mean, my parents live there now, but I grew up, my formative years were in East York is where I grew up. And then we moved to Scarborough later. And But I mean, You're if you right. want to lump in, if you want to lump in the entire East End to Scarborough, I'm okay with that as well. <laughs> I have even softened in my old age, which is if it's east of the Don River, it's it's Scarborough. It used to be if it's east of Yonge Street, it's yeah. Scarborough. Yeah, yeah, I am East End through and through, so. Fair enough. Speaking of through and through, the Blue Jays' season is through. Is through. And that is not fun. It has been a grim few days. Now, of course, it, in some ways, it, we were blessed by the fact that it was here in Canada Thanksgiving, which is not exactly a blessing in and of itself, but it sort of spared us from the take ocalypse, the take quake that is now upon us. Those people were off work and things, but the takes are coming. And Caitlin, I don't know. Well, so let's let's just pause on the takes. I guess we don't really need to rehash the games and what happened. I mean, it's the nature of a three-game series where you can go out and get your ass kicked by a pitcher pitching as well as he can pitch. Right? Luis Castillo was unbelievable, unbelievable in in on Friday in Friday's game. In game one, he pitched insanely well. All, you know, Alec Manoa gave up what four runs? Three in the first. And then, and then another one later on. And that was, that, any one of those runs was more than enough. Like when someone is pitching as well as Castillo pitched, 
tough to score. They got beat. They got beat. It happens, which we'll get into the other the psychology of that after the fact. But I don't know what I don't know what else can you say about Friday night? They got beat by a pitcher pitching as well as he can pitch. Yep, that's basically the story. I thought maybe the Blue Jays looked a little bit not nervous, but certainly it looked like they were really trying to do a lot to get a hit off Casio. And it really isn't the offense's fault necessarily. It's like they just got beat by a really, really good pitcher and they kind of got a few bloops and they got some singles, but they weren't getting that one big hit, which it happens. That happens. And I thought that the offense responded really well the next day, obviously jumping out to a big lead. Thought they handled Robbie Ray really well, as you kind of thought that they could. Teoscar, two home runs, two big home runs. They did everything they needed to do in game two against Robbie Ray. And further than that, I thought they handled their Mariners bullpen actually really well. They got to Seawald. They got to Castillo a little bit. He uh, he was more got to himself. He was kind of wild there. He hit hit Maryfield in the head and stuff. But in any case, like I thought that the meat of the bullpen Blue Jays got to them in the second in the second game. And so if you want to talk about sort of the these two games being a microcosm of the season, it was in the first game they didn't hit and their pitching was really good other than the first inning from Manoa. And then the second game their offense was really good. And the pitching faltered after Kevin Gosman left the game. So that's what happened. And it's two games and it's two games where everything that could have gone wrong in both games did in the sense of Manoa didn't get off to a good start. There was probably some, whether it's not necessarily nerves, but maybe it is just being overhyped, being fired up. It's hard to start. I think for all that was made of the home field advantage, it is in some ways a little easier to come in as the Mariners and have sort of no, it's not no pressure, but it, it's just a different sensation, I guess, to start the series. And I thought that Manoa really responded well after that first inning and had the Blue Jays, again, gotten that one big hit, maybe that game is different. And then, yeah, the second game, you did everything you needed to do offensively, and then every single thing that could go wrong with their relievers did. They gave up what a couple big shots, uh, the home run, even the double before that that Gosman gave up, which was not that bad. But um, and then there was all these blue pits. You know, Anthony Bass didn't record a single out. Like when was the last time Anthony Bass came into a game and didn't record a single out? I don't know that it had happened in his time with the Blue Jays. And then Jordan Romano comes in and gets the two strikeouts he needs, and then he gives up some soft contact, and it falls in literally the exact spot where no one could get to it. And then that whole play was compounded by the fact that you did have Bo and and George going so hard, they clearly couldn't hear each other. I don't think anyone could hear anything in that building at that point. And... It's really hard to come back from a moment where you're the centerpiece of your team and your center fielder is carted off on a medical cart. Like it is just very hard to come back from that, especially given the context of you were winning this game 8-1 and now it's 8-8. Or sorry, 9-9 at that point. Sorry, 9-9. I think that's that's fair. My thing is is this. This is a sort of 
string that will run through this, right? You and I have to be in, we're in a different spot, but like, you know, I in I am definitely kind of sitting maybe a little bit more, well, very much more on like the fan side. And I hear a lot of fan, you know, I'm, I'm engaged with, with fans. And so do you see them in the, in the comments, you see them on Twitter and stuff like that. But I, I think that the one of the worst impulses is to think that there's only one team on the field, right? And I think that's that's part of the the, the conversation that gets it gets so focused and so like navel gazing, and it's like you know, well, the Blue Jays, you know, you, you said yourself, you're like, the Blue Jays didn't hit on Friday, but it's like the Mariners aren't aren't NPCs, right? The Mariners are out there trying to win a game, and they had a pitcher who was pitching very very well. And I know that it's people for whatever reason because it's, we're in this like hot take competition where it's like you can't just say. You got to tip your hat to the other pitcher. Like, why the fuck not? He was throwing 100 miles an hour to the corners of the strike zone. The Blue Jays were the best offense in baseball. To somehow now retroactively decide that the Blue Jays have a struggling offense or they weren't able to do this or this would have been the... Di- like, to me, that's so stupid. It's, so, it, it, it's such a... It, it does everyone involved a great disservice. It's okay to get beat. And they did. He pitched as well as he's ever pitched. He earned humongous contract. He was an insane trade piece at the trade deadline. Seattle gave up so much to get him for this reason. And then he came out and he pitched his ass off. I don't, it doesn't have to be an indictment of the Blue Jays that they didn't beat Luis Castillo on that day. But I don't think that there's room for that conversation right now. It immediately becomes the, the lineup was too right-handed or it was too this. And it's like, come on. They were the best offense in the entire sport. I don't see how we can now decide after the, oh, wait, they, lost, they, had, they had eight bad innings against a guy pitching as well as he can pitch. So somehow it's time to fire the general manager. It's time to send the, the whatever derogatory term of choice you want to use for, you know, m- m- Ross Atkins, who everyone loves to d- decry as something. Like, I'm not here to defend him, but like, number one, they love to talk about him like he's some kind of like hollow shirt as if he wasn't, you know, didn't set all kinds of records playing baseball all the way through his career if he, as if he wasn't a professional baseball player, you know, coming up through the minor leagues. All those things are true. He played the game, quote unquote. But because he's got fucking glasses now, apparently it makes him illegitimate as a, as a baseball executive. But that's not the point. The point is they got beat on Friday night by a pitcher pitching, by, by playing well. Like, it happens. When the Blue Jays win, it's because they have a lot of talent. When Kevin Gossman comes out and is dealing, when, when Alec Manoa has like a .88 ERA through the month of December, we love to give him credit for, for doing those sorts of things. Luis Castillo pitched insanely well. I don't know why we can't just accept that and be like, fucking shit, that happened. Like, this this one is going to get like two E's on this, uh, <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. But like, they got beat on Friday night. And then the, the Saturday game is crazy. The thing that I keep coming back to that I thought about at, at the time as well was you saw Springer favoring his hand all game long on TV. You could see it. He's flexing it. He's wincing it. He's falling down in the batter's box. He's gutting it out. He's out there. He was hurt. He got hit in the hand by a pitch, something that Seattle seemed to love to do in those two-game series. A lot of guys getting hit. Springer's hurt. You're winning 8-1. Now you're winning 8-4, 8-5. Get him out of the game for defense. You are in full run, you prevent defense mode. Get him off the field. Put 
the guy on the roster to catch the who's on the roster to catch the ball, put him in the game to catch the ball. For context, people, like we're talking about the eighth inning where the Blue Jays would have been up nine five. And at that point, you could have put Jackie Bradley Jr. in instead of field. I kind of wrote this and it's like, you don't know if Jackie Bradley Jr. makes that catch and that kind of horrific crash that happened in center field happens or not. Like you can't you can't say, but certainly maybe Jackie Bradley Jr. gets a better jump because he's not hurt the way that George Springer was hurt. Maybe Bo is not trying as hard because he knows that Jackie Bradley Jr. is out there and is not hurt. And so he's not necessarily thinking, I need to make this play because George can barely run or George is, you know, favoring half his body. I agree with you there in the sense of that's probably more so than maybe the Mesa decision. I think that that was the one where maybe you have to wonder why Schneider did it. And and maybe it is because George was going to come up first in the bottom of that inning so you think you want to get a one more bat that's probably why mm-hmm. it was but i agree with you that when you're winning nine five in a playoff game and they had no hesitation to make those defensive changes down the stretch all the time you saw those types of changes being made so i think that that's probably the one move where maybe that's the one that john schneider's potentially tossing and turning about i think even more so than the pitching changes because on the pitching changes sometimes it's up to the pitcher to execute. Like, what is John Schneider supposed to do that Bass can't get an out? And yeah, the Mesa thing, you question a little bit, but it made sense in the sen- in regard to who was coming up after Santana, right? There was a couple lefties coming up after him. So you kind of see the thinking behind that. But I agree, almost the move that wasn't made was probably the biggest one. But those things are all related. And, and if you go back and look at the things that I was tweeting about that, I... I made a reference to the implication of that home run, right? Of like giving up that home run to Santana, making it more of a game means that you're way less likely to get Springer out. If it's 8-2 in the eighth inning, Springer's long gone, right? He's not playing. His at-bat means nothing. You can give away a free out or however you view it by having Jackie Bradley Jr. lead off the ninth inning, you know, as those as those dominoes fall in that order, the choice to turn them around, the choice to go to, to Santana, like hundred percent up for up for debate. And 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 it's 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 that the difference between process and and results. And like at some point it has to be we're talking about the results piece and, and the results side of, of the of the equation. I think that the the idea of 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 turning Santana around, I mean, there's so much talk about Front office is meddling. I don't know if you've been seeing, seeing a lot of this stuff, all these excerpts from Joe Madden's book and about how the Angels front office is like was like dictating moves in a way that obviously Joe Madden was not comfortable with. So I have to assume that the idea to go to Santana had more to do with than just like he's he he's, doesn't have as high a batting average from the left side or from the right side, but like it doesn't seem like a super great idea in the moment. And then, and then, obviously, the, those the implication, you know, as, as as I said, those sorts of things snowballed, and then the next thing you know, there's a weak pop out, you know, to to center field. Now, like you said, I think the, your your example is a perfect one of like you don't expect Anthony Bass to come in and not get anybody out, but then you know, again, the the idea, the the choice to not let Garcia go more, kind of maybe holding him back for the for a potential game three because. You know, in my mind, and I, I texted this to my friends. Like, as soon as Romano came in in the eighth inning, and it started to go sideways, I'm like, "This is this is the end. Like, they're screwed now. They got nothing else to go to. Instead of 
being able to manage the game and slide through and like, oh, you know, hilarious. You say Kikuchi gets in the game in the ninth inning and it's like 8-2, 8-3, Now it's Romano in the eighth inning with nobody out and the bases are loaded. It's like this is, this is the worst case scenario. And then it only, of course, got worse. It's a hot take thing, I guess. So, so that's what happened in the games, as everyone knows very well. The game, the Saturday game, went incredibly terribly. People are, you know, again, a lot of hyperbole, a lot of prisoners of the moment going on. Like, this is the worst collapse. Toronto sports, it's like it was one game. The Leafs were up 3-1 against the, a very bad Montreal Canadiens team and didn't even win the series, which was pretty great. But the Monday morning quarterbacking has begun, and there's talk, you know, should the Blue so Suddenly, I'm seeing so much more like Blue, Blue Jays should fire the general manager, which to me is crazy. And people are reaching in like such sad, desperate ways. I've seen Tanner Roark's contract evoked more than once. Wow. Number one in a place of like a, with a high profile. They were like talk, trying to let, rattle off bad contracts that the front office has, the, the Blue Jays front office has handed out, including Tanner Roark's two-year deal that they paid him to go away. That in the aftermath or in the middle of the contract, they managed to sign George Springer. They then went on to sign Kevin Gossman. All while having Hyunjin reuse money on the books, like to me, that's so laughable. But it, that, that's just like you've got it. You've got it in your head that the front office needs to change. I see people. Well, they got to shake things up. What do you think, Caitlin? What's next for the Blue Jays after this disastrous two games that somehow is going to undo the work of the previous five years? I mean, I hear what you're saying in that it's not generally a good practice to completely evaluate the tenor of a team based on one game where, again, everything that could go wrong went wrong. And so I agree with you that like these two games that the Blue Jays lost does not mean that they were a bad team. It does not mean that they weren't a very, very skilled team. At the same time, we have to remember how this season unfolded. And we have to remember that the Blue Jays came into this season expected to be a World Series favorite and expected to win the division and the Yankees did race out to such a historic pace that you almost just have to to use a phrase we like here tip your cap to the Yankees in the terms of like what are you going to do if you're the Blue Jays like it you weren't on a 120 win pace for the first two months to match the Yankees and that's why you didn't win the division so it's hard to even react to that as well because obviously the Yankees slowed down. They were a 99-win team. They didn't win 100 games. So you almost just have to sort of shrug at their start and say, well, what were we supposed to do? Still, at the same time, this was supposed to be, again, a team that was more complete, uh, was going to be, again, a favorite to win the World Series. And what I think happened was not – a completely dissimilar season as to the last one and that you're still seeing a team that really wasn't putting it all together. They did have the best offense, but they would struggle sometimes. And, you know, you have to start asking the question as to why does a team with so much talent on their roster always seem less than the sum of their parts? And I don't think it's unfair to start to ask that question. There's sometimes on this Blue Jays team where – there was maybe this perception that they could just go and out-talent teams. And that started to go away, I think, down the stretch. I think there was some realization that, no, it's not going to be that easy. And I think that in September, we did see the best of this team. And so in that way, 
the front office could look at that and say, okay, how we played in September was really a true reflection of that team. Can we have that team? Can we do that all season long? Because if they could do that all season long, they probably were on a hundred win pace. I think even when John Schneider took over, if you look at his win record, it probably is closer to a hundred win pace versus what they were on for the first half, which was more like an 88, 89 win pace. So I think that it's actually really complicated to sort of figure out what you do with this team because I do think they were sort of almost two separate teams. I think that you saw them at their best, you saw what they could do when everything is coming together, and you kind of saw them at their worst maybe and when when things are not going right for them. So how do you then figure out how to get the best of them? How, does it is it going to take some changes? Like I hear you that the offense was the best in baseball and yeah, maybe they weren't too right-handed, but I also think that maybe just switching things up, getting some left-handed bats, getting some guys that can do some different things is going to help this team a little bit. I think the bullpen does need a few extra arms. You obviously have to do something with the rotation. So the team is going to change. Like the team is going to change. And it's not like you have to cha- you have to shake things up just for the sake of it. I think if you ran it back with this team, you'd probably be very happy. You'd probably make the playoffs again. You and and then it, things could go differently in the postseason, right? In an alternate universe, Teoscar is the hero. But I do think that we can't just say, well, it's bad luck in two games and, you know, you tip your cap to the Mariners. You can do that a little bit. But also, like, why didn't the Blue Jays win the division? Why didn't they catch the Yankees when the Yankees were faltering? They had plenty of time to catch the Yankees in the second half when they were not playing. And they did play the best pace of the American League in the second half. The Blue Jays, when John Schneider took over, they were the best team if you look at their win-loss record and their win percentage. So, you know, why couldn't they do that all year? Why did they start off slow? Like, you have to start asking these questions because the window is closing. Like, you have three more years of Ladd and Bo. You probably have two to three more, well, two years probably of your peak Springer or, like, still peak-ish of Springer. Like, Alec Manoa is going to start getting more expensive. Like, what do you do with any, you know, you what are you going to do with some of these bullpen arms? Like, there's just, the, the window is closing. Like, we can't... I think you have to figure it out if you're the front office because you've had two years with this core, with this very, very talented core, and all you have to show for it is four playoff losses. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. 
or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I get that. But like, number one, I guess the question is, what would be the acceptable number of playoff losses? Right? Is it like if they made it to the World Series, and then they got beat? If they made it to the ALCS, and then they got beat by the Astros, or they got or they made it to the LCS and got and lost to the Yankees? Like, it sometimes starts to feel very World Series or bust. And and I don't and like if that's the way, that's the way. That's the a lot of the tenor of those conversations is very much like count the rings, like which is just so asinine in baseball. Like count the rings. You gotta if you don't win, you're nothing. I think that's a really cynical and sick way to think about baseball in general. But the other thing is like, okay, are we talking bad process? So number one, do we feel the results are bad? The results have maybe fallen short of what the expectation was, what they were shooting for. Okay, so the results are short. Is it a matter of bad process? What about the process that the Blue Jays do go through is, is lackluster? I would say that the way that they evaluate or, or value the way to build a bullpen, you know, there was a lot of kind of talk about how the Blue and and, you know, you could see it in terms of the Blue Jays' bullpen is not built like a lot of the high, the best bullpens in baseball. But also, like, in that they don't have a lot of these hard-throwing guys, they don't have a ton of swing and miss, they kind of, it's a bit of a patchwork, and and it's just not as, like, overpowering a bullpen as maybe we have now associated with, you know, a good team. And and at the same time, you know, again, it, it, I see so many, so much, like, just garbage, like, frustrated, understandable talk. People, one person's like, Blue Jays weren't, they need more veterans, they weren't, ex- they weren't experienced enough, they need more experienced guys in the bullpen. It's like, the guy that closed out the game two of the series had never pitched in relief ever. And he comes in and shuts the shuts the door in a one-run game, right? So it's not necessarily about experience. It's about talent. And I think that the other side of that and maybe the, where that process and results start to meet is when you are evaluating the players that are in the core that you've already described. Number one, who and what is Vlad, right? Who and what is Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Is he a very good first baseman or is he among the best in baseball? He didn't play like the best one among the best in baseball this year. He did the year before. So... Is this his new floor that we've seen, or is this more closer to who he is? And to expect him to perform at the same level as he did in 2021 is foolish, because people don't do that. You're allowed to have a career year. You're allowed to have everything come together and work out for you, and we don't need to kill him for not performing at that same level. Bobichette struggled for so long this season and then put together an amazing six weeks that salvaged everything. So at the end of the day, his production is good. But the manner, the shape of that production maybe isn't the right fit. The defense at shortstop is remains a very significant question, I think. And the offseason is the time where you start to have those conversations. Is it time to move Bobichette to, to second base? His numbers across the board, no matter what, where you look at it, the numbers at shortstop are bad. There's been so much talk in the last couple of years. They got to extend Bo. They got to extend Vlad. 
I don't think that they should be in a hurry to do either of those two things. I think that that's the val- like sure it's, you know that's the value of salary structure as it is from a team perspective. You have time to make those decisions. Do we want to be in the business of of twenty nine year old Bobuchet playing second base and and having these long barren periods, whatever? But I think that process versus results question is the the pressing one and the one that's gonna we're gonna be going through all winter long. There is not a lack of effort from the front office. We don't, we can't, especially people who are like of my ilk and my generation and age, you don't have the Rogers is cheap thing to rely on anymore. It doesn't, they just, it doesn't exist. They've signed two, three, three years in a row. They've added among the top three or four available free agents to their mix. Okay. So they're not cheap. And on top of signing Jose Barrios, which now post facto Though that deal looks awful. They should have just let Barrios walk, apparently, is what people want. Because those innings were getting pitched by somebody else. And now we're going to be facing the same sort of thing with Ross Stripling. So I just don't know. Like Maybe I'm an apologist. Maybe I don't think that making change for the sake of change is, is worthwhile. Maybe I think, like, I don't know what another general manager is going to come in and do. Other than look around the roster. Okay, what are the positions maybe that are available for upgrade? Is it left field? Is it right field? Is it, you know, as you mentioned, you're going to need starting pitchers. You're going to need some relievers. I can't imagine they're going to go out and pay. I don't know. So there, there are moves to make, right? Teoscar Hernandez is a free agent at the end of next season. Lourdes Gurriel is staring down free agency. Obviously, there's the Alejandro Kirk question. But, like, is he the, your guy long term? Or is he ever going to have more trade value than he does right now? There's lots of different directions this team can go. I think that it would be foolish to think that the, 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 the Blue Jays are going to run it back and not make any changes. I don't know. It's it's disappointing, and 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 it comes up against this like, are we playing fan or are we playing general manager? You know what I mean? Like we we all have you know, you're watching, you have feelings, and you you get it's up hurt and you're disappointed, but then when you start being like, they need to do this and they need to do this and they need to fire the general manager, it's like, okay, hold on, now you need to show your work a little bit. You know what I mean? Otherwise, we're just shouting into the void, and what's the point of any of this, right? So where would you start? Are, are you looking at upgrades? Are you looking at is this core who I can who who the Blue Jays can ride with? And do you think that there there are maybe flaws in the mix that they would need to address? Well, to some extent, also like yes, Rogers hasn't been cheap, and yes, Rogers has handed over a lot of money. But at some point, the Blue Jays aren't a team that is always going to be able to fix some holes or fill some holes by throwing money at players. That they're not the Yankees. They're not the Dodgers, they're going to run out of money at some point. And so to some extent, you you do have to start using some of your player resources to fill other holes. And so sometimes maybe change is going to come because they're going to they're ha- gonna have to make trades to fill some needs. Like they're not always going to be able to always get everything they need to get done via free agency, I think. And you're talking about a roster that's going to get more expensive with Vlad and with Bo, with Noah. Romano, all these guys are going to get more expensive. Teoscar, he's more expensive if he if he sticks around, if they don't move him. I know he's been sort of a popular choice to look at. You know, you mentioned he's heading to free agency soon, Lourdes Gurriel as well. You have these, uh, you know, extra outfielders who are right-handed. Maybe you move one of them to, you know, get someone who does something a little differently in the outfield. Maybe you got to move Teoscar because you need to move George Springer to right field because you don't want him playing center field anymore because he, you need to keep him on the field as much as possible. So I do think that there's probably going to be change potentially just because of things the team needs to do to amend and fill some holes for next year. Uh, Truthfully, I haven't, I honestly haven't started my 
process of like looking around at free agents and trade candidates and all this kind of stuff for the offseason. So I don't really think I can speak on that in any sort of educated way in terms of what I think the Blue Jays exactly should do, who I think they should target. Like I just haven't deeply looked into that yet. I've had two days and I've been working all, all I haven't stopped working since they lost game two. Um, so I, I don't know the answer to that question yet. But like I said, the, the, the core of this team has had three seasons, really three seasons, probably more so two because the 2020 years strange year. And that's weird to kind of, you know, live up to the talent on their roster. And I, I do think you, even with the Vlad thing, it's like, yeah, I agree with you with what you're saying in terms of it is very hard to have back-to-back MVP-like seasons. Um, and it's what he did in 2021, I think people almost took for granted in a way because he is so talented and he did make it look so easy, qu- quite honestly. I think that's probably part of it is that he looked like he was able to hit 300 so easily like and you know hit all those home runs, whatever he ended up with, almost 50 home runs or whatever. Then this year, he was still a very, very good player, but he just never really looked like he got comfortable. And that is a question. Why was that, right? Like, why why was he not able to ever get comfortable? Like, why did it always seem like he was trying to do too much out there? And, like, to go back to maybe what you were saying earlier, sometimes you just have to give pitchers credit. Like, they were attacking him well, and they saw a weakness in his swing where he was swinging a lot, a lot of pitches outside the zone and getting fooled by sliders, and they just kept exploiting that. But I think that on some ways, maybe this is just kind of the journey of this team, like not to fall back on. And I said this on the radio the other day, and maybe it's a little bit silly to make this comparison. And it's not like the Blue Jays are always destined to follow the same sort of like pattern of history that the Blue Jays always have. But it was interesting when the 92 players came to the Rogers Center this year, and they talked to us a little bit And they really did talk a lot about how those failures kind of helped them and molded that team. And obviously you had these teams in the 80s that fell short. 87 was, you know, a big collapse. Then you had, I guess, 91. They didn't get it done. And then you had these kind of team-altering trades that happened. And it's not like because those trades happened, they won the World Series. Like, it's not like it was that easy. They obviously still had to go out there and play the games. And it just made me think, like... Sometimes teams do need to fail before they before they can succeed. And this Blue Jays team has failed a couple times. And I don't say failed like to be mean or anything. I just mean like, you know, the last year they didn't make the postseason and they fell a win short. And this year they made the postseason, which is progress. But really it was an incremental step and not a, a huge step, especially after, you know, the type of offense that they had and the type of pitchers that they had. You know, they had two pitchers in their rotation that are probably going to get Cy Young votes, votes this year. At the same time, they have two pitchers in their rotation that were among the worst starters in baseball this year. So it's very sort of hard to wrap your mind around this because on the one hand, they made some progress. uh, And I think Ben Nicholson Smith for Sportsnet wrote a piece like this. And, you know, I sort of agreed with what he was saying is that, yes, it's good that they made progress, but why did they take, why was it just such a small step? You know, like why was it only 92 wins, which is still a good amount of wins, but did we think that they were capable of getting, you know, 95, 96 wins? Probably. Yeah. Like, I think we thought they would do better and and not, you know, not even winning a game in the postseason. Like, these things happen. But I think it's still fair to say, like, 
you know, this team is maybe not making the quick progress that we want them. And just to add, though, like at the same time, look at the team like the Mets, right? They won 101 games and then they lost to the Padres, who won, what, 89 games or something? Like, and the Padres really had not a good offense all year. The Mets have two of the best pitchers that you'll ever see. And probably the worst of the Padres hitters, like the bottom of their lineup, were like hitting like they were Babe Ruth in this, you know, like in that. And it's just, it, that happens. And sometimes, as bad as Blue Jays fans feel, I, Mets fans feel worse right now. So it, sometimes this stuff just happens. But I think it's so important to consider those things in context too. That the Blue Jays didn't like we have a we get a number in our head. Okay, the Blue Jays won 91 games this year. If they don't win more than that, it's a failure. So they win more games, but they're playing in a very differently shaped division, right? Where the where the Orioles come and win way more games. Not only the Orioles win way more games than than we would expect, and that and 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 moved along that much quicker, but the Yankees won way more games than we would expect too. So there's just not that many games to win. And then we look at the Mets. We're like the Mets won 100 games. It's like they got to play against the Marlins. They got to play against the Nationals, and they destroyed and beat up on those teams as well as playing teams in the National League Central that much more. I guess number one, it's like it's worth evaluating the Blue Jays in terms of like what is this team moving forward. I think that's the question that needs to we need to think about. What kind of production can we can we expect or do we do we need or, or expect from these different positions across the lineup? What and, and then maybe if we want to get into the weeds a little bit, which is something that you've alluded to in a way, and it sort of is this idea that I feel is a little tossed off. Like they need more left-handed hitters. Okay, well, we have talked many times though about their vulnerability because of the similarities between a lot of the hitters that are in the core of the lineup even though they they definitely changed that profile a, a little bit this year. They didn't hit nearly as many home runs as we would have, would have expected. But it's like not thinking about number, not thinking about step forward. I think that the aging curves and the idea of like what guys look like as they get older is is gone. Players are at their best when they're 27. Like absolutely not. I don't think that's true at all anymore. Do we think and, – and, and also – when we think about again Vlad or or Bo, like that, there it's just this linear progression where it's like this year they did this, next year they go to the next level, and then the year after that they go to the next level. Like there's no reason to believe that's true. There's no evidence to suggest that these guys are going to get keep getting incrementally better all the way along. I think there are questions to be asked about the structure of the team relative to the similarities of it, and that they could maybe use a, a dose of a different kind of hitter who's able to perform still at a similar level, but in a different way. And I think even you can see that in September, right, where, where the Blue Jays got a different kind of boost from having Ramiel Tapia in the lineup than they maybe would have gotten from Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who, again, changed who he was as an offensive player, but was still very same, 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 same. So you want to change up the makeup of the lineup in a way that's going to let them sort of like attack teams in a different way. It's going to make them less vulnerable to certain kind of pitchers. Power right-handers, as an example, to go back to the Luis Castillo thing. 100% believe that. And I think, okay, what do we got? When we look around the diamond, where can we upgrade? What's, what, what, are, what are the positions that we can get better at? What, what, what's different now than was in the, in the spring of 2022? I think those are a lot of important conversations. I think a, a real like deep dive into like why the shortcoming of this front office is probably their... Like they're good at identifying nice, cheap, effective pitchers, but I in the bullpen. But I think they need to like go to the next level, and like we they need not just effective, but like there there's that need for those overpowering, dominant types of guys that can let you get away with mistakes. With a guy like Tim Mesa, God love him, he pitched so well uh, for huge spots of this year. Tim Mesa's like a one pitch guy, 
and, and he just keeps throwing that sinker over and over. And if it doesn't work, then suddenly it doesn't work. And and and, and we saw that you know against Aaron Judge as an example when he gave up that sixty first home run, and then you see that against Santana where it's just like just doesn't have a lot of doesn't have a lot of weapons and and it isn't as effective in that moment. And if he was the best guy to go to in that moment, then it's like, okay, what does that say about the state of, of of this team right now? There are obviously so many other moving parts and pieces. And I think that that is also difficult to extract, right? If we're judging John Schneider on the on the decisions to made in game two, how many of them weren't made with game three in mind? You know, is that Jimmy Garcia thing made with the idea of keeping him around for game three? This, that, the other. There's just, there are lots of questions and there are lots of, there's lots of opportunity, I think. And I think the, the Blue Jays, Again, I would be surprised if they were big players in free agency like you. I, I don't know that I've dug exactly in unless they're going to, I don't know, sign Clayton Kershaw. Joe, Joey Gallo is a free agent. There you go. Uh, you know, if they're going to make a deal and, and acquire Shohei Otani, right? Like, okay, then we can talk. That's an upgrade. All right. There are there are lots of lots of difficult conversations about reevaluating the process that they that they put in place. And if there is a if there is a belief that we don't have enough talent. Or is our talent not fitting together like a pieces of a puzzle to make a, a complete package? What is it that we then need to do? And how do we need to change our approach to things from a front office perspective, from a baseball development perspective, from a young player development perspective, from a, tal- a talent identification perspective? Because I think you know, your, your point is a good one that I, that I would definitely agree with. There, the talent is there, but it sometimes has felt like it's fallen short. Now, part of that is let's maybe is it time for a reassessment of, of this talent who and what are Bobichet now Bobichet and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. now and who and what are they moving forward because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has one hit in his postseason career so again it's like nine at bats or something stupid like that or 15 at bats but like is that a data point worth considering what is it what is it about Vlad that makes us confident that he will be able to play at a higher level for a longer period of time or is this maybe the time where Let's see what what's out there. You know, I, I, I'm not advocating for that. Far from it. But it's important to take those kinds of assessments and be like, what's what's the state of our talent? And what can we do to maybe continue to get the most out of this talent moving into 2023? Because, because I, again, I don't think it's a matter of a, of a lack of talent acquisition or a lack of talent identification. I think that there's a, maybe something else going on, like you said. Yeah. Again, like you don't want to just like make these like rash decisions. Like we got to change it up. We got to because this team didn't work. So it's going to be a process. It's going to be like deeply looking at, you know, every player, what they offer, what they project to be next year and beyond. And it's talking to the players too. It's talking to them and saying, you know, what what were we missing this year? And is it something like, and, you know, I don't like to be one of those people that is like, the the clubhouse needs more character guy or like whatever. But like sometimes maybe like maybe that would help a guy like Vlad. Like maybe if you did have like, and I'm not like the Blue Jays like have these like older, like they have these veterans, they have Springer and they have Chapman and they have Gosman. Like it's not like they don't have those guys, but like would it help to have someone else? Like would it help to have like a Nelson Cruz type? I'm not talking about like Nelson Cruz, but like someone like that, that has seen it all and maybe could just be even more help. Would that be a missing piece for this club? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what it is. And I think there's probably a lot there that you need to examine. Um, and, and you do have to like, it's like what we were, I know someone, uh, Robin, like our one of our readers and uh, one of my readers and one of our listeners tweeted at us after the game that 
she said she remembered that conversation we had where you were kind of like, who's going to be the Blue Jays? And I said themselves. And it's like, it's my fault, everyone. It's my fault. <laughs> if the offense gets going, who's going to beat them? Right. In the offense, which is which is, which is is fair. But you, and you're 100% right. They, 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 they beat themselves. But why did they beat themselves? And why is it that that was a thought that I had? Like, why is it that that is what came to my mind instantly when you're talking about the Blue Jays, right? Let me interrupt you then and ask you then, straight up, do you think they beat themselves? Do you think they lost these two games to the Mariners because they beat themselves? I think that not completely, but I think that the game two, it's hard. It's hard because I think that of the mistakes that happened in that game, a lot of it was like some bad luck, some situation, some things that just, I don't know. Like, it's it's hard. Like, I didn't think there was an egregious mistake in that game too like there really wasn't like an error right like and so in that way like I think it is unfair to say they beat themselves because I do think like the game two was more so a a string of bad luck and just you know if Tim Mesa strikes out Santana that whole game is different right and it's like and he's not you know for for as much hurt that Santana has brought on the Blue Jays like he's like a 36 year old guy that is you know, hitting below 200 on one side. I can't remember which side, but he's like, you know, he's not. At some point, you just have to hope that the players and the pitchers execute. So, yeah, I think it is a bit of unfair to say they beat themselves, but I understand why she thought of that. And I understand why I said it is that sometimes they have. And so I think like not necessarily in the microcosm of this playoff series, but I certainly think you have to wonder like, why did the Blue Jays sometimes look like they were able to beat themselves? I think is the question. I think you, you said it exactly, which is I don't think that they beat themselves, but I think there was a real failure to, to execute. And I think the fact that in game two, in that game two in particular, you could point to Tim Meza, who wasn't able to execute. I think you could point to Anthony Bass, who wasn't able to execute in, in his inning. I think you can point to the manager for, as we discussed earlier, maybe not making the defensive move that would be required. There were a lot of people who were trying to kill Bo Bichette for for going so hard back on that ball. I don't think that if Springer was calling him off, he wouldn't he wouldn't have peeled away. Anyway, I think that, that that's a good point. I think there was a lack of execution. They lost they, they lost that game because they didn't do what they needed to do in the moments when they needed to do the most. And now here we are. But at the same time, in that game, in the first five innings, they did everything they had to, had to do to execute. That's, that's how quickly that game turned. Like, we could be talking about them in Houston right now because they executed game two so perfectly. They got to Robbie Ray the exact way they needed to get to Robbie Ray. They got to the bullpen, the, 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 the meat of, I guess, the, the Mariners bullpen when they needed to. Like, they did everything right for the first five innings of that game on offense. And their Kevin Gosman was exactly what they needed. He pitched exceptionally well. So that is why that game, too, is so crushing and disappointing is because it wasn't like a complete failure. It was essentially like three innings that went completely wrong after they had played almost almost flawlessly, I think, or as good as you could expect them to play for the start of that game. Like you couldn't have asked for a more dream start and you couldn't have seen a more nightmare ending. No, you're absolutely right. And I would say that there even were a couple opportunities. Of course, obviously, they left the, the bases loaded in the uh, in the bottom of the fifth inning. And they had two more on in the seventh inning. So they could have put that game even more out of reach. Not that you would ever say that they uh, 8-1 game was not enough out of reach. Those opportunities were out there. And they weren't able to add on those runs. They weren't able to put that game to bed. And that left them exposed to uh, a failure to execute in this instance, a failure to execute in that instance, and then a goofy 
Bermuda Triangle pot fly that resulted in a soul-destroying collision. We offer nothing, George Springer, nothing but the best. We hope he's okay. And uh, obviously, there's it's a long winter with lots of hand-wringing and lots of uh, calling for heads ahead. And who knows how many more times we'll come back and with more spin rates. There's obviously lots of stuff to happen. God only knows what's going to happen. There's the, the trade deadline. There's the World Series, the, not trade deadline, the, the winter meetings, the GM meetings, which don't mean as much anymore. Lots of stuff to come. I will be back with Ricky Romero later this week. Maybe all three of us will be back. Maybe. <laughs> this week. We'll see what you're up to, Caitlin. I don't know. you got to go now, so I'm going to let you go. Talk to Ross Atkins at the media availability at the Rogers Center. I'm going to say thank you to everybody for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening all season long. Stick with us through the offseason when we will come and go as we please. But you make sure if you're subscribed, you can always get it when there's a new one, when it comes without warning into your device. So, Caitlin, thank you for your amazing coverage this year. Thank you for the sleepless nights and early shows and crazy flight times. It's been a blast here in 2022. This is not goodbye. This is see you later. We'll be back, me and Ricky, later on this week on the next edition of Spin Radio.